we become what we receive. Hmm. Hmm. All right. That's a beautiful space that gets created with that chant. In this very room, there's quite enough love for all the world. And in this very room, there's quite enough joy for all the world. And there's quite enough love and quite enough power to walk through our every fear. For spirit, one spirit, is in this very room, in this very room, in this very room. And so I invite you to allow my words to be your words in this moment. I recognize and celebrate and give thanks and great gratitude for the one life, a perfect life, God's life. And I claim that life as my own on behalf of each person here in the I am. So that life moves in and through and as me as I relax completely, open myself to its impress. I know that what is mine to be made aware of in this moment is clear, obvious, and simple that there is nothing in this moment to fix, repair, have a strong opinion about, but to simply be present. That I put down through my breathing the long, deep, slow exhales in through the nose and out through the mouth. I put down the muchness of life in my reactive mind, in my personality, in my egoic nature, and I invite my soul's presence here and now that mystery of life, the depth of life. And that place where there is no separation, there's only one. So standing in that, that Christ awareness, that Buddha consciousness, I give thanks. I give thanks knowing that each and every one of us receives this day, as well as myself, the next good idea, the next opportunity, that something beautiful and lovely is having its way by means of each and every one of us, for the nature of the infinite is love. In this month of love, I am the place, we are the place where love shows up. And so I give thanks knowing and making that declaration that the infinite is aware of that invitation and provides the next idea, opportunity, possibility for each and every one of us in our own time, in our own way. For this I give thanks and invite you to say with me, and so it is. All right. Bless you. Well, here we are. I'm just going to stand here and look at you guys for a half an hour, and then you guys can look at me for half an hour. And then you can say. You should have been there the week you didn't say anything. You just stood there and looked at us. It was, it was crazy. We thought he was losing his mind. Anyway, what I'm going to invite you to do right now is stand up, if you would, and find somebody that you are willing to interact with in a meaningful way. And as you look that person in the eyes, I know some of you are still finding a partner. And you can do it in a threesome too. 
So if you're without a partner, three will do or four. And say, good morning. I see the face of God before me. You are love. You are a gift. You have arrived here to express possibility. You are a joy. I know the highest and best for you. No doubt. And so it is. Beautiful. Thank you for doing that. It's a very powerful activity because we activate the two or more in that. And so we are, I am the place where possibility shows up. And today, this month being the month of love, we are um, starting out with love of self. Love of self. Now, I did not make it very clear at the first. See, that's the great thing about doing two. You find out what you didn't do well at the first one, and then you clean it up at the second. I have before me a jar of Hershey's Kisses, these little kisses here, right? There's 300. There used to be 300. Some people did not understand the instructions. There's less now. <laughs> That's why I'm bringing this up right now, and I'll remind you at the end. There's a slide for this at the end. So what we're doing is we're going to practice the placebo effect that Joe Dispenza wrote a whole book about. And placebo means I shall please. So pl placebo is something we give to another person. It comes from the Greek, I shall please. But the point being is that the placebo effect has been around forever, that people have been given sugar pills. So I thought in, in celebration of, of the month of love, uh, Valentine's Day, and you'll see our, our I love you hearts back there where our peace sign used to be. I was scrambling around yesterday for a heart and I was going everywhere and I was gonna go buy a big sheet of plywood and cut another heart and I went into the Safeway to buy something else. I went, they got balloons right there, this is easy. For 12 bucks, I'm all done running around. So here we are. So the placebo effect is a sugar pill. It's this procedure, and, and Joe Dispenza's book, You Are the Placebo, We Are the Placebo, The Power of Our Minds to Heal. And the remarkable effects that some people have had in healing themselves, and there have been people that have been misdiagnosed and actually died from a misdiagnosis. The first story in Joe's book talks about a guy that was diagnosed with throat cancer, and over a period of time, he finally gave up the ghost and gave up the spirit and died, and they found out later in the autopsy he didn't have throat cancer. So it's quite, isn't it fascinating how powerful our minds are? So what we're going to do this month, so at the end, you do not come up to get a chocolate. What we're going to do is we're going to infuse these sugar pills with whatever it is that you need. And the infinite knows. The infinite already knows which one of these has your name on it. And so over the next couple of weeks, in two weeks, we're going we're to pass them out, and we're going to let you take it, but know that it has been infused with exactly what you need. So the quality that you're longing to experience, perhaps it's a physical healing, perhaps it's an emotional healing, perhaps it's a financial uh, shift of abundance in your life, whatever it may be, here's the placebo effect, and we're going to activate it. So this, this little, this little um, medium of receptivity. In Apajani with John of God, we, we, when we go, we get uh, herbs, and herbs are made from passiflor, and it's a little nondescript, very neutral um, herb that they put in these gel caps. And then the entities of light infuse it with whatever we, it is we need. So when you have a spiritual surgery down there, you're given herbs, or if you just go through the line and, doc, and, uh, and John of God surveys you as a hologram, you're given herbs that are appropriate for whatever's going on within you, not just physically, but spiritually and emotionally. 
So the same idea, that this infinite divine intelligence is already operating for us, and whatever quality is, and work with the quality, and, and know that it is being, it's being shifted and changed for you, for the highest and best. So these become your placebos. It's just a, a focus for your awareness and consciousness is what it is. So everybody, how many people are going to come up at the end and take a, a, um, a Hershey's chocolate today? <laughs> We're doing it in two weeks. Okay. That's why I asked. I had two hands go up. Two weeks. Two weeks we go, come up. We're going to grab one. And then you can take it home and do whatever. You may want to wait. You may want to say, it's not ready yet. Because we can do that anytime. That's why we bless a meal. When we bless a meal, it changes it energetically. Blessing the food. If you don't do blessing for food, you're missing an opportunity. Why not infuse it with everything your body needs in this moment for the right and perfect things? And the amazing thing about placebos, they've studied it more and more, is the body actually will produce many times the, the chemicals that help create the healing. That's, the, that's that infinite divine intelligence within us. And I'm not saying, you know, the, the Christian scientists will say never go to a doctor. We, on the other hand, will say, well, we may not be able to create those, those chemicals within ourselves or create the healing. So let's pray that you find the right doctor, the right modality. So there's no good or bad, right or wrong about it, but just to simply to understand, sometimes we need the aspirin. You know, as a kid, I, you know, I knew I wasn't really sick, but as soon as I went to the doctor and he told me, well, you're not really sick, all of a sudden I started getting better because I needed his permission to get better because he was the, the MD, he was the minor deity. And so I gave my power to him. So anyway, I just want to clear that up at the beginning so we don't get lost at the end here. Because some people did last time. All right. So I want to use one of a, a beautiful scripture that so many are familiar with to, to uh, launch into this discussion. And it comes from Paul, the Gospel of Paul. Paul wrote many letters. Paul is one of the most prolific letter, uh, writers in the Christian Bible. And the beautiful thing about Paul is, is that Paul was Saul of Taurus. He was a, a tax collector and he was struck down, as the story goes, by a bolt of lightning on the road. And in that illumination... Um, he was transformed and his name became Paul. I don't know if he got hit by lightning on the road or not, but I do know that there was something that happened within him. And it is said in studying this, his, his writings that Paul was the first person that never met the teacher Jesus that actually embodied the Christ consciousness, and that's what he wrote from. And I think that's why so much of his writing is so rich and used in so many ways. So Paul wrote this passage about love, and I want to talk about it a little bit because... I think it gives a, pers a perspective of what the Christ consciousness um, looks like from the perspective of love. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. And so all of those qualities seem a bit foreign in the Western world, perhaps, because so many of the things that love is not, or as he describes what it is, a lot of times we would struggle to find those things being played out in the world. So patient, love is patient. And patient means able to accept or tolerate delays, problems, or suffering without becoming annoyed or anxious. Right there, that's a lifetime work, isn't it? Anybody here ever get annoyed or anxious about anything that doesn't go to schedule? Yeah, yeah. So we're just not, we're not operating. The great thing about it is we know we're not operating at, at that perspective of love. 
I've said many times and I've had it said to me, so that's why I've repeated it because in my impatience, my, my mentors have said to me, spirit's delay is not spirit's denial. Love is kind. It's having a kind and sympathetic nature of kindness. And so many people in the world tempt us not to be kind, but yet that's what love is. It does not envy. A feeling or a envy, a feeling or disconnected or resentful longing aroused by someone else's possessions, qualities, or luck. Anybody ever had that experience? You see somebody that you kind of don't like that drive by with a new vehicle? Hmm? Do you go, wow, good for them? Or as my dad used to say, every time somebody went by in a convertible, big show off. So growing up as a kid, every time I saw, you know, I see a, a, somebody in a convertible, I go, there goes a show off. Well, why would you say that? Well, that's because my dad said they're a show off, you know. That's how we pass down those, those interesting ideas. Boast. Love is not boastful. It does not boast. Talk with excessive pride and self-satisfaction about one's achievements, possessions, or abilities. We've all seen that. I mean, there's a guy that's president of the United States right now that's really good at that. And it's just one of his, it's one of his spiritual gifts. We just need to recognize. Proud and arrogant. Love is not proud. Love is not arrogant. Having or showing a high or excessive high opinion of oneself or importance. A proud, arrogant man or woman. So all of these things lend themselves to a state of being, a quality. Love does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. There's a list that goes on and on and on. But once again, Paul was writing from that Christed consciousness, that beautiful awareness of of opportunity and possibility. And so it's just such a, a, a chore and a challenge for us in many ways. So love is the language, I would suggest to you, based on what Paul offers us, love is the language of the soul. It's not of the personality. And our beautiful personality, we come to this dimension. We, we are born into this realm. This is a unique realm. And the realm, I mean, this, this, is, this is humanity. This is planet Earth. We have certain natural laws. We also have a, a way that we are made up. We have our personality, which we develop so well, and many people think that's it. There's also that aspect of us of the soul. And the soul is, is that part of us that is mystery. The soul is, and we're going to talk about it this afternoon, and we're going to do some practices. Someone asked me about what's going on this afternoon, and we're going to spend some time lingering in the soul and welcoming it because the soul needs to be welcomed. Parker Palmer says that the soul is like a wild animal. It's very shy. And it's not called into life and called into our experience with loud noise. It's typically in the quiet. It's in the depths of the forest where the wild animal will, will hide and survive and manage its life, it relishes in the quiet. But all it needs is a welcome, a space for it to be welcomed. So when we can stand in the love that Paul describes, we have a better opportunity for our soul to be more in the conversation with ourselves. And the reason that I think this is so important is that we have fallen asleep in the world of form and materialism. And beautiful, beautiful stuff in the world of materialism, but without our soul's participation in us, we just continue to, to want more and more and more. And more and more and more is a way of life for many people. How can we balance it? Because until we can balance that and more and more of us can live from that perspective, we're going to always have 
the inconsistencies with how resources are distributed. There are many people that feel like the more I have, the better I'll feel. It gives me a sense of safety. But there's never enough. I've said it a few weeks ago, you know, we never get enough of what we don't need. So the soul, when we live from that soulfulness, which is the quiet, it takes a lot of relaxation. So if you're not interested in relaxing at 2 o'clock this afternoon, don't show up. If you've got a lot of busy stuff to get done, you probably don't want to be here because we ain't doing that. But it's practicing dropping down into our hearts and, in, and inviting our souls into our lives. The soul is interested in experience. The soul is interested in the quiet. And we can get really good at it, I believe, and we can, we can call it forth in a, in a moment's notice. But it's important for us to understand what it is and what it feels like to have a, a, a bit of an experience of it. It's a present moment experience. Love is something we are. And we just are it. It's a deeper level of understanding and wisdom of the beloved that lives within each and every one of us. The world is beginning to realize, as Dr. Holmes said, that it has learned all it can and should through suffering and pain. How much more suffering and pain do we need before we decide, hmm, this isn't working? So part of what happens with soul work and what helps create the doorway for it, the opening, and the next slide illustrates, it reveals itself as a glimmer. But there's the sympathetic nervous system and the parasympathetic nervous system. And they, they work next to one another. The sympathetic nervous system is the one that is always studying the horizon and saying, here comes trouble. Where's the next threat? What's the threat? And then stands at high alert. And the mechanisms there are fight or flight or freeze. So that is the uh, sympathetic nervous system. The parasympathetic nervous system is tapped into through breath, through the breath, through meditation, through deep meditation, through repetitive practice, through surrender, through letting go. Every aspect of life on this planet, and I think it ties in beautifully with what Dr. Holmes said, that we've learned all we can through suffering and pain, every aspect has lower and higher realms. Has a higher realm and a lower. Commerce has a higher realm and a lower realm. Lower realm is hoarding and keeping everything for ourselves building walls, protecting ourselves. And that's just a natural instinct. It comes from our survival instinct. The higher realm is how can we share more of this together in a way that's, that supports everyone? That's a world that works for everyone. That people have enough clean water and food so we can, they can get an education and an opportunity. Because there's no private good, as Dr. Holmes said. Their, their joy, their accomplishments, their creativity are our accomplishments and joy. Politics. Politics has higher realms. I mean, Gandhi was 50 years old. He was 50 years old when he realized that his call was to, to help transform the planet through nonviolence. And he did that. He called an entire nation to a new idea, a new possibility. And he became the example. He held the value. And over time, it wore those people down that were in the position of power. And despite them going through great means to, to uh, uh, stay in power, he just warmed down with love. Yeah, we hear you, but that doesn't stand here anymore. So he stood so strongly in the value that people were able to tap into that contagion of what he knew was precious, what he was devoted to. And energetically, an entire nation was freed in a new way. Now they have other opportunities, they have other challenges, but that's the ongoing nature of life. 
but he understood. He was 50 years old when he came to that awareness. Religion. You know, teacher Jesus came along at a certain point in time, and he, because up to that point, it was all about following the rules for the Jewish tradition. Jesus was Jewish, and it was all about following all the rules, the rules of, of um, devotion, and everything had to be made a certain way, the food and eat in a certain way, and the prayers were said in a certain way. And Jesus has said, this isn't it. This is a piece of it, but there's more. So he revolutionized religion and faith. There's health care. Look at all the accomplishments in health care. Heard a beautiful story the other day where someone said, you know, I just don't know about humanity. I was in the Vietnam War, and, and I'm just so disgusted with it. And man was talking. I saw a YouTube uh, lecture, and they were question and answer. And the lecturer said, well, if you look at the Vietnam War, he said, if you look at, and, and we look at life from 30,000 feet, and I think it's important to do that. He said, when Alexander the Great was a general, they would fight a battle, and 50,000 of his men on both sides, men on both sides of the army were, would be slaughtered that day. So if you look at the Vietnam War, it isn't a great thing and it's, not, and it's, a, it's, a, you know, it's a sad chapter in our history. But it took years for 60,000 people to lose their lives. That was, that was the U.S. on the other side. But he said, if we look at it from a perspective of time and how things have shifted and changed, it took much longer for that carnage to show up. Now it's wrong either way. But it's also an indication of the shift and change in consciousness. And I believe, even though the trajectory looks, looks chaotic at times, it is on an upward slide. And I, and I believe that. If you look at life and you look at the things that are happening with health care, with caring for one another, for forgiveness work that needs to be done in the world. But all of it has a higher and lower realm. And we're here to be part of that or not. So... Love is not just a feeling. It is a way of being present with ourselves and others. And when we're coming from love, we're in those higher realms. So the question to ask, as the Buddhists would say, it's our opportunity to become a, a bodhisattva, which is in, in deep devotion to God. That's what the Buddhists would call a bodhisattva, deep devotion to God. It's a person who's committed to living open-heartedly and working to ease the suffering of the world. And I would say that that's a theme that I think is alive within our movement, our community. In Dr. Roger Teal's words, in our hardened world and our busy lives, amid our problems, issues, and troubles with others, there are openings. There are openings. And these openings are, are higher realizations that create inner actualizations. And when we do the soul work, I believe that there's an opportunity. They reveal themselves. The openings reveal themselves as a glimmer. There it is. It's just a streak of light. It may show up for us. See, the soul is a mystery. So it doesn't type everything out. The soul will give us a glimmer. It'll give us a word. It'll give us a phrase. It'll give us a feeling tone. And the more we welcome it, the more those glimmers show up. When we see, Dr. Teal continues, when we see the openings light, even as an inner ember, and these higher realizations have their way with us, we are ushering into a greater frequency of awareness and expanded dimensions of life mastery. It is then that we experience more lofty and powerful aspects of the authentic self, our spiritual nature, and its profound capacities. So if we are going to be part of this tribe to give birth to the greater yet to be, I don't think it, it means that we don't participate fully in life like we have been, but when our soul's involved with the conversation as well, it takes on a whole different energy, a whole different possibility. And that's, and the more we practice it, 
the more able it becomes, then it can become a consistent theme in our lives. We find these, we find these openings by loving ourselves in the, in the way that Paul discussed. And when we catch ourselves, it's not that we're wrong or broken. We just say, wow, I decided I wasn't going to do that anymore. So I want to share with you some practices. This next slide, here's a practice, declaring that I am one in love as love, and we are one in love as love. So on this month of, of love, let's say that out loud together. I am one in love as love. We are one in love as love. Now let's say it again, but really mean it this time. I am one in love as love. We are one in love as love. But some mantra that you have in your life when you start to spin and go, wait a minute, no, no, no. I'm not being punished for something. Something is wanting to be healed here. Something is wanting to energetically shift and change within me. Part of this awareness I have around this soul work is that we, we are eternal beings. You know, I'm not here to tell you that you've lived before or haven't lived before, but I, I believe we're eternal beings. We have always been, we will always be. We, we come from the source of all life. As Dr. Holmes says, we are the drop we are the drop of God in the ocean of God. We are not the, the whole thing. And he says, no, no one would want to be that. You know, who would want to be God? But what we do is we get a chance to participate in this beautiful way and create or not create in ways that the infant cannot even understand. But as long as we stay only in the reactive mind and only in the personality and only in the, in the idea that, we, that the more I, I acquire and the more that I can make myself right in my egoic nature, that this is the meaning of life. When in fact, it's, wow, wow, wow I don't know. Everything I know. Krishnamurti says it. I was reading him this week. I, mean, I love Krishnamurti. He says the only way that we can have experiences is by being the experiencer. And he says, so we have to stop being the experiencer. I thought, wow, look at that. I've got to read that over and over again. Which means that, that you and I, at the end of the day, are nothing other than this spark of life and love that the divine is. That's our essence. And so I'm not saying throw it all away. You know, that you walk out the door and go, well, I don't have a home anymore. I'm nothing. I don't, no, but it's realizing how we hold those things is different. How we hold the, our relationships with one another is different. And then the ones that, that we struggle with the most, we're able to look at them and go, wow, look at that. Wow, look at that. Look at all the things that used to trigger me about this relationship. But I realize that that's just their un, unfulfilled stuff that they're seeing through their lens in me. And I'm doing the same with them. And when you have that awareness, it makes it a little more healthy and sane to walk this life. The bottom line is we are worthy people. You are worthy, worthy, worthy beyond measure. You have done so many good things that you have forgotten about. Because we're tripwired not to think about the good things we've done. We're tripwired to blame and shame ourselves and to diminish ourselves as if that's spiritual practice. I got news for you. You cannot love yourself from an empty cup. It may sound selfish. You know, that's one of the stops for people. Oh, you guys are all about yourselves. Well, we have to be. But what they're talking about is that personality and that ego. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the soul, the mystery of life, that eternal presence. That, that, see, when we're in the soul, we are in the unbroken connection with spirit. Teacher Jesus lived in that. The Buddha understood it. That unbroken connection with spirit. There's no separation in the soul. And so you cannot give yourself, you can't pour yourself a drink of love out of an empty vessel. You just can't. And if you're not dipping into that well of the, of the, the soul to replenish yourself from the truth, then you just, there's nothing. There's no sustenance. Because the egoic mind cannot get you there. 
We are obsessed in our culture with our relationships. That, that we read something and, and it and offends us, and then we quit. So our feelings get hurt, we quit. It, it, it's just, read, go on the internet, and, and would Donald Trump will say something, and then thousands of people tweet. And it's all about our, our emotional lives. And those are important. Emotional lives are really important. Don't hang with people that don't love you. I agree. But it, there's more to it than that. Because what it, what it does, it provides an opportunity to learn, and it provides an opportunity to take action. But what happens for many people, we're just obsessed about the relationship. And the far left says, well, it's got to be everything for everybody. And the far right says this. And all of a sudden, they're right. They're on the far wrong, and they're wrong over there. And, pretty, and nothing happens. You know, the problem is when you keep certain people out of any environment, there's no conversation. And without conversation, there cannot be the development of a deeper relationship. So how do you heal anything without conversation? How do you feel? It requires engagement. Because that's where the learning is. And then in the learning, you can decide what you want to do. Let's build a world that works for everyone. But as long as we continue to say, okay, you guys are corralled over there and we're corralled over here. Let us know how, you're gonna, how that's going to work for you. That's old thinking. That's a lower realm activity. It's not a higher realm activity. It takes courage to stay in the conversation. It takes courage to have your feelings hurt and go, well, yeah, I get that. But, you know, I didn't get what I needed in this. But let me tell you about that so that you can work to another resolution. That's what healthy people do. That's what healthy governments do. That's what the highest form of politics does. Not to marginalize a group. So what we're watching is we're not watching good or bad. Because good or bad means that we have to have a charge on it. What we're observing is choices. And they're either lower realm or they're higher realm. And it takes, see love requires vulnerability. We are worthy people. We deserve our own friendship. Are you friends with yourself? Do you get up in the morning and look in the mirror and go, man, you go get them. We had a rough week last week, but this one's going to be better. And I got your back because I love you. And more is possible. How many people did that? All right. How many people are going to come and get a chocolate at the end? Okay, good. You guys are paying attention. That's cool. I like it. We should laugh. We should, we should enjoy this life and have fun. And, and, and be in the joy. Joy is such a, When we smile and we have laughter in our lives, it is renewing for our bodies. Oh, my gosh. Go see a funny movie and, 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 and laugh and enjoy life. It is so healthy. It's such a good thing to, to lighten up. I mean, how do we do this deep spiritual work, this soul work, and, 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 and still have the joy? Wow. Look what my soul sent me this week. I had a dream the other day, I'll share it. I told Laura I wouldn't share it, but I'll share it. I went, took a nap, because I'm getting to that age now where I never want to miss an opportunity to have a nap. And I, I woke up and I said, that was the worst dream I've ever had in my life. I was getting ready to do a Sunday talk and half my, my mouth just fell off. My teeth, <laughs> everything, I mean, it was this big gaping hole. And I'm standing there talking like you. <laughs> I thought, I am hooped. This is my worst nightmare. And it was my worst nightmare. But I just thought, wow, that was quite a, a dream. And I'm still working on it. What does that mean? But to, be, to nurture ourselves, to fill our own cup. Not taking care of ourselves. When we don't take care of ourselves, we become frustrated. Well, how can you take care of yourself today? Not just for a few minutes. 
I'm not saying change your whole life for a few minutes. How could you care for yourself today? Put down beating yourself up. A lot of people, that's their favorite spiritual practice. Huh, yeah. I meditated for 15 minutes and beat myself up for four hours. Good for you. How's that working? What if it were really true that you were an eternal, immortal representation, individualized expression of this mystery of life? That you could not get this wrong despite what you have done? Even the worst of the worst. Even the worst of the worst, despite our good opinion. Now, I believe in karma. I believe that there's always a response to that which we've done and things that have, have come and blessed us with their, what we would call horrific or horrible or terrible, there's, there's repercussion through the karma. Dr. Holmes said we're not punished for our sins, we're punished by our sins. And so what it is, is we set an energetic inevitability up for ourselves by our actions. I know that to be true because the universe is one of balance. So we will have these experiences back and forth. But it's not as if an arbitrary God says, well, you're con-, you know, the idea that I was brought up with was that you're going to hell. I was told if I ate a piece of meat on Friday, I was going to hell forever. I thought, wow, what a great religion that my mom and dad picked for me. But I, you know, I did learn over time that there was no meat in bologna, so I'd have a bologna sandwich on, on uh, Fridays. And <laughs> it's just cereal and spices. I'll t- I- it's actually a chapter in my book about that. So, <sighs> Martyrdom. Anybody here a martyr? Anybody here signed up for that? Because I'll tell you what, that is so 1205. You know what I mean? That's, that's the medieval times. That doesn't apply anymore. But martyrdom is such a, an, a popular idea, or suffering. Suffering is good. It's a good signal that you're off track. It doesn't mean make, continue to make it a life. Or exhaustion, stress, and burnout. Exhaustion, stress, and burnout do not produce a good product. Stay home. Our true nature is good. Just as the sun is naturally warm and bright, cultivating that attitude, we can learn to be our own best friend. So I want to talk to you about some practices that I think are really important, that I think and valuable and simple. Simple stuff. We need simple. Number one, look for the good. Look for the good. Pay attention. Remember that our souls best remember and we best remember when there is a heightened awareness of the experience and the memory. And it's reinforced over time. So in other words, think about a great memory you had, something, a happy time, a happy experience. Think about that. And then then each day get up and set a goal. I'm going to find something that triggers that for me this day. I'm going to find a way of being happy and triggering that and living in that. Decide to feel pleasure and be happy. Today I'm going I'm to enjoy pleasure. It is not wrong to feel pleasure and to be happy. Open to emotionally and physically to positive events. Bring forth feelings of compassion. Do something nice for someone. Laura and I were downtown a couple weeks ago. I'm not going to tell you what we did, but we did something really nice for somebody. And I have got so much mileage out of that thing. Every day I think about that person that I don't know, and, um, but I think about the reaction. Okay, I'll tell you what we did. We were in a restaurant. <laughs> we in a restaurant, and this young guy came in. He was eating, and I went up to the waitress. I said, I want to pay for his meal too, but I don't want him to know. And then I was worried because we were lingering in the restaurant, and I hadn't told Laura yet, and I thought, I don't want him to see us because I wanted to just get out of there anonymously. But I think about that every day. I go, that was so cool. I think about that kid, and I'm like, I hope he receive that in the, in the same fashion with which it was attended because that's, that's tithing to magic that's saying to the infinite you know what I'm going to give something unconditionally that is truly giving unconditionally but brightening somebody's day you know 
I just thought, what if he thinks I'm stalking him or, you know, all that stuff. But that's his problem, not mine. I just did it out of love. And I thought, cool, I'll never see him again. This is awesome. But every day there's sort of like, that is so sweet. Good for you, Patrick. Good for you. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, that's why I said it. There we go. Look at that, boastful. That's one of the things love is not. But I'm just sharing with you that there's ways to do this. And for me, that's a memory. And there's a, there's a fantasy I go into that's lovely. I'm going to make something up. I might as well think about that and enjoy that. I'm doing that again. But you won't know if I did it. <laughs> Extend the feeling of goodness and compassion in time and space to linger. That's what I'm talking about, lingering. That example, it allows me to linger. And the joy, you know, and, and, and grandchildren, we, we got to babysit our granddaughter on Friday night and we go over there and all of a sudden there's this great big bite mark on the, her arm. And I, hey, who's been chewing on the baby? And great thing, so her mom called and found out who was chewing on the baby. But kids do that, they chew on one another. Has anybody ever had that experience? Nice big bite mark right there. Like, wow, ah, somebody's chewing on our granddaughter. But she's all well and healthy and she survived. You should have seen 11 of us kids at home. Oh my God, we had bite marks everywhere. <laughs> that was our number one choice for communication. Come on over here and I'll bite you. Let the experience sink in. Feel it in your chest and back. Imagine a treasure chest in your heart and store it there. Something good. Everybody's got a good memory that's sweet. Make it alive again. Bring it alive. And what it does is it starts to rewire the brain. See, these are not just Pollyannish things. How do we combat this reactive mind? We've got to take it on. But we've got to take it on with love, and we've got to take it on with wisdom. I'm telling you, it is so important. So what, what in the research I've been doing is to work on the fly. We can't wait till we get home and we have the special prayer chair and we light our candle and we have the special incense and we do the special chant. No, we've got to do it right when we get triggered. And what we do, when we've got an old memory that's painful, something that has really, really devastated us, what we can do in that moment is say to ourselves, yeah, but I didn't know as much as then as I know now. You know what? I thought I was a victim then, and I'm not. I understand who I am and whose I am. And in that moment, when we insert that thought into that memory, it starts to shift it. We start to rewire our brains. We can do it on the fly. We can do it on the fly. That's when I was a child. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. It says it right in Scripture. But now I'm a man. And I think as a man. And the memories, and in so much of the healing work I've done with my mom and dad. My mom and dad were great people. Great, great people. They did a lot of things along the way that didn't feel so great growing up. But see, parents' parents' role is betrayal. Parents' role in our lives is betrayal. Everyone goes through it. Everyone goes through it. When you understand that, all of a sudden you go, wow, because betrayal is a rite of passage. Because the only place to put our trust and faith in is the infinite divine intelligence that lives within us. That's the journey. That's why it's set up that way. Even if you had the greatest mom or dad in the world, there was still disappointment because we make up a fantasy about what mothers should look like and what fathers should look like. And so much of it is just so ridiculous. And yet we feel, we live our whole lives going, well, I didn't get parented well. <sighs> Join the club. But time to parent ourselves. Time to have practice in our life. And to know this for our children as well. When our children start to accuse us of betrayal, they go, wow. We don't have to tell them. Probably don't say wow to your kids when they're upset with you. But just to realize, wow, this is part of my job. To stand in love for them. I've gone through this with my kids. They call me up and they read me the riot act. Want me to apologize. And I just listen and listen. And I acknowledge how they're feeling. And then we have a conversation from there. 
And then I get to talk about betrayal. Because the only real betrayal that goes on is betrayal of self. That's the bottom line. We can project it. Once again, we project it out there. I, you said you'd do this and you didn't do it. <laughs> you dirty rat. I don't mean you, Sharon. I love you. You know that. I just, you're just following me so well with the nods that I thought I'd you know, use you. But, but the point is, when we have that perspective, when, all of a sudden it's a higher realm. Do you see what I'm saying? Otherwise we're, otherwise, we're just down in victim. They victimized us. I'm going to find somebody to victimize because we don't know a bigger love. So working on the fly. Those stories came along, those experiences came along when I didn't understand who I was. That God was out there somewhere. Looking down through a tiny little hole, writing down, keeping track of my, my good things, bad things, like Santa Claus. Until I understood and, and know who I am and whose I am. And that's why the soul work is so important. When you welcome in the fullness of your soul, it's transformative. It's powerful. And it's a mystery. And it requires complete surrender. Complete relaxation. Complete willingness to surrender to the mystery. Joe Dispenza says in his beautiful meditation, as soon as you start plotting again in your reactive mind to your history, you simply put it down and go, you know what, I'm surrendering to the mystery. I'm living more and more in the mystery. Believe me, your reactive mind will be there when you come out of meditation. No worries. You're going to find things to fret about again. It's a journey, but it's gradual. And over time, as we catch ourselves more and more, go, oh yeah, I made an agreement. I'm not going to think like that anymore. I'm not going to do that anymore. Setting at the beginning of a meditation, setting an intention. So, and eventually that intention becomes an ongoing way of being. So my intention I'm working with right now is absolute trust of the infinite presence within me. Absolute trust. Absolute trust. Knowing who I am and whose I am like never before. That I'm always guided. I'm always directed. I'm always resourced. That the right ideas continue to show up. There was a good Emma Curtis Hopkins, teacher of teachers, was an Ernest Holmes teacher, was the Fillmore's teacher, beautiful, amazing woman. Emma said this, there is a good for me and I ought to have it. There is a good for me and I ought to have it. Because the nature of God is good. Good and God are the same word. There's a good for me and I ought to have it. Because if I don't claim it, it just goes on the scrap heap. You don't claim your good, I can't take it for you. I can't have it. It's uniquely yours. There's a good for me and I ought to have it. Relaxing the body activates the parasympathetic nervous system, which is soothing, a calming antidote to the sympathetic nervous system whose job is the flight, fight, or freeze. That's why the breath is important. That's why meditation is important. It seems so counterintuitive, but if we don't go there, then, then the lower realms within our, ourselves have free reign. And it's so easy to watch that play itself out. Because it leads to addiction. It leads to medication. There are more people on tranquilizers now than ever have been in the entire history of the planet. In fact, they are taking tranquilizers and it passes through their body and now it's in our drinking water. Who knows how tranquilized we all are at this point in time. That's why I'm drinking nothing but straight grain alcohol from this point forward. <laughs> so there is a... There is an opportunity here in this last slide, which I didn't do in the first service, but I love this. This is Dr. Holmes. Love is within us. It cannot be destroyed. It cannot be ignored. To the extent that we abandon love, we will feel it has abandoned us. Isn't that interesting? You're not feeling love because you abandon love. Denying love is our only problem, and embracing it is the only answer. 
Through the power of love, we can let go of past history and begin again. Love heals, forgives, and makes whole. Amen. Hallelujah. And so it is.